All I used to know about Hoboken came from reading Daniel Pinkwater's The Hoboken Chicken Emergency when I was 11, and from listening to Operation Ivy's song Hoboken all through high school. Pinkwater called it a neat place to live, but Op Ivy, well, they painted it as kind of the opposite. So what's the deal with Hoboken? Oh, that would have been a great moment for my Jerry Seinfeld impression. I totally missed that. Well, forget it. We're about to find out what the deal is with Hoboken. My guest today on the program has lived there for over 30 years, so he'll sort this out for us. By the way, the show is about him, not Hoboken. But it's always good to start with a little geography. I'm Alex Green. What's the deal with geography? And this is Stereo Embers. The podcast. I really do have a Seinfeld impression. One day, I'm going to drop it on you, and you're going to be amazed. All right, check this out. My God doesn't fight in wars, doesn't know what wars are for, thinks they're dumb. If it hurts someone. of my guest today on the program, James Mastro. Let me tell you a little bit about James Mastro. All right, so just to finish up on Hoboken, by the time I got to college in the late 80s, I knew a lot about Hoboken because every band I loved seemed to come from there. Yola Tango, the Bongos, the Individuals, Sinatra and Joe Pantoliano were born there. John Sales and Bill Frisell lived there. And not only that, but Bar None Records was based in Hoboken. And so was the legendary nightclub Maxwell's. How legendary was Maxwell's? Well, the list of bands that played there would stagger you. Bands like the Minutemen, Nirvana, Robin Hitchcock, Blue Oyster Cult. And not only that, parts of the Springsteen video for Glory Days were shot on stage there. So yeah, Hoboken, pretty cool place. James Mastro certainly thought so. The singer-songwriter moved there in the early 80s and started playing with the bongos. The band put out three fabulous albums, including my personal favorite, Beat Hotel. Catchy, jangly, smart, and irresistible, the bongos remain one of the most revered and respected bands of all time. They were busy, but after they split up in 87, James Mastro got busier. Now, Mastro's musical CV is a string of highlights. Get ready for this. Over the course of his career, he's worked with Patti Smith, John Cale, Steve Wynn of the Dream Syndicate, Phoebe Snow, Richard Lloyd of Television, and the Jayhawks. In between all that, he formed the Health and Happiness Show, 
a band who put out two fabulous albums on Bar None. And for almost 20 years, he's been playing guitar, mandolin, and sax for Ian Hunter's band. He also owns and operates the Guitar Bar in Hoboken, and he's readying his debut solo album for a fall release. And by the way, that album will come out on Velvet Elk, which is owned by Jesse Mallon. The track you heard at the opening of the show is called My God. It's a moving ballad that was produced by Tony Shanahan, who plays in the Patti Smith Band, and it's a reflective, disarmingly honest, deeply moving, and decidedly melodic track. As a guitar player, James has got the perfect blend of muscle and grace, and as a singer-songwriter, he's deft and intuitive. What can I say? James is the real deal. So let's chat with him, shall we? Here's me and James Mastro having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. You know, it's a huge reset, as it has been for everybody, you know. Um, I mean, pretty crappy, but I think out of all of it, some good things have come out of it, you know. Like, I just, uh, you know, you kind of realize what's important and what isn't, you know, and is being forced to stay in with your family, you know, with your wife and visiting kids, or I had my daughters with me in and out for while it was kind of great you know it was uh, and you know you get tired of it after a few months but for the first month or two it was like you hunker down this is what you're there for and and deal as best you can you know did in terms of panic was there ever any kind of financial concern of like can the shop stay? Does the music going to sustain me? Like what, what was, uh, well, of, of course, you know, yeah. there, there is. And, you know, at least for the first month, I, you know, probably um, worked 90 hour weeks, you know, I was just trying to keep, keep myself working keep a lot of other people working. Um, and, you know, and then got a rhythm and a, a thing going. And the one thing about uh, people being forced to stay home was people were looking at their guitars that had been sitting in corners for years. So, uh, so I, you know, I was glad that I could, like I said, keep my teachers working at my guitar shop, and and uh, and we made the transition to virtual literally overnight you know had there not been a pandemic would you have picked up the guitar and and made this music uh yes i mean this song this particular song has been in the works for a while i mean the the basic track of it was actually recorded about 10 years ago and finished about a year ago you know um it, it just finished because it seemed like the right time to finish it, you know, with everything that was going on and, 
it was one of these songs where I just kind of was on the fence about, you know, is it too simple of a song? Is it too preachy? Is it dumb? Is it, you know, but then circumstances out of my control, it just seemed, like I said, the right time to put it out. So. I've talked to a lot of musicians who have talked about the same thing you've just mentioned in terms of how do you evaluate the work that you're doing? Nobody has ever said, I asked myself, is it dumb? <laughs> how, do you, how do you answer that question? Like what would, what would make you feel that it was, that it would qualify as being something that would fall into that, that uh, category? Well, it's such a simple, to me, it's such an obvious sentiment, you know, and it's so simple that sometimes simple can be scary. You know, the, the, yeah. the most obvious thing that everyone should take for granted, you know, and you don't feel like you should have to say something, but then sometimes you realize you do have to say it, you know. Well, I think that Tolstoy said that there's only two stories, right? Like a, a man goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town and everything else is just a variation of that. So I think sometimes a return to simplicity can be a really good thing. Well, this is definitely the pandemic forced that, didn't it? You know, you were uh, no longer were you going out to a movie, to, to a bar, to, you know, to eat, to a museum. You were home. You were camping out in your house, you know, so it was, you know, sort of probably the closest a lot of people would get to a survival instinct, you know, in, in our country, you know. When I'm, I'm a writer and when I have something I'm working on that's not done, I'll put, I can put it aside, but it kind of kills me to do that. Mm -hmm. um, having this track sitting there for 10 years, were you always, were you thinking about it or were you, did you just know it was there? Uh, you know, I, we would visit and talk and chat every once in a while, you know. Um, so I knew it was there and, um, and, and as the pandemic kind of dug in deeper and deeper, it just kept talking to me more, you know. So it was, uh, it was just, like I said, it was time. Were you, speaking of talking, were you talking to a lot of your friends that are musicians that were in a similar predicament in the last year? Were they, was there a lot more outreach than there had been? Uh, well, having a guitar shop, I definitely was able to keep in touch with a lot of people, you know, and um, it was almost like a speakeasy. You know, we were selling strings, you know, at the door when, you know, you really, I was in there working regardless of not letting people in, but friends would need strings. I'd be like, okay, come by, I'll leave it on the table and take it. So, and you just get everyone's take on it. And, and musicians, you know, this certainly hurt a lot of my friends and I'm sure a lot of your friends very, very hard. You know, uh, being a musician's not a regular nine to five paycheck and, you know, you're relying on venues, you're relying on outside to, to make your, your living, you know, so. Um, so I feel fortunate, but I, you know, that I was able to weather through most of it and keep busy, but I know a lot of people who struggle, so. I, I got the feeling also that the Hoboken, um, I don't wanna call it the scene, but the network of musicians seems 
it seems like everyone kind of knows everybody. Yeah, you know, they do. There are different factions. When yeah. I first opened this shop 25 years ago, I thought I knew every musician in town, you know, but there are musicians who work on Wall Street, you know, and, and just there are bedroom guitar players. So, so this whole other world of people uh, started crossing my path who, if you saw them in their daytime regalia, you, you just think, oh, you know, they're, they're a stockbroker, they're a doctor, whatever. But, you know, behind the suit, there's a beating heart, you know, and, and, and you have to pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I always like Yola Tango was one of the bands I got into when I was a teenager that made me first realize, even though my parents are from New York, made me realize like, oh, where does Hoboken fall in all this? Because that was the first I'd really ever heard of it. But um, I imagine you must know those those guys. I do. I do. You know, we used to play softball together. And, and um, yeah, Hoboken was a joke. When I told my parents I was moving there and 1979 or 80, they thought I was crazy, you know, was, uh, and and it had a bad reputation, you know, starting from Bugs Bunny days, you know, <laughs> there's jokes in the cartoons about it, but uh, but that's where artists go, you know, you go to the 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 cheap rough spots and and Maxwell's, which was the mecca of, of clubs where bands would go if you saw someone walking down the street in a black leather jacket during the day you knew you'd see him at maxwell's that night you know and it, it was that small of a, a group you know were you from new york originally uh jersey i'm a jersey ohio but really grew up in jersey so yeah uh, but as soon as i graduated high school pretty much moved to hoboken and, and uh because i i knew the bongos and and had been to Maxwell's while I was still in high school, you know, it was, um, so it just seemed like a great place and um, more affordable than New York, you know, $80 a month for an apartment. I was watching New York stories fairly recently. And there was that one where Nick Nolte is a painter and he has this enormous loft in uh, Soho and he has, he has like great big canvases. I don't know if you remember that movie. And I thought like, how would he possibly afford that now? you yeah you couldn't you, you know. couldn't you just couldn't it will be him and 50 of his friends maybe right. that's about as close as you'd get uh, when did you leave ohio just out of curiosity i ran away when i was three years old so oh, okay. yeah. but um still lots of family but um you know jersey was a great place to grow up you know, i grew up really in a kind of rural suburban area morris county lake of Pacong. And new, but New York was a 50 minute train ride or, or bus ride. So we were always, you know, hopping the train and going in and seeing bands and, and then going back home at night. And so it was, you know, I didn't feel like we were cut off from the rest of the world, you know. Did you ever see the Modern Lovers? Or did you miss them? I did, I did not. I knew Ernie and, uh, uh, who's the bass player, um, but I miss them. There weren't many gigs, but, uh, no. you know, but not much. Uh, but yeah, 
I talked to, I told you my parents are from the Bronx, but I talked to Jesse Mallon years ago and I thought, if New York, the state has a voice, it sounds like Jesse Mallon. Absolutely. You know, I'm a big fan, not only musically, but as a person. Yeah. He is single. Well, I won't say single-handedly. He has some great people with him, but he has kept the spirit of the Lower East Side and, you know, of rock, New York rock going, you know, he's very supportive of other artists, you know, I'm, I'm proof of that. And, and uh, I mean, I knew Jesse when he was uh, 30 years ago, he had a van and he would just drive band's gear around. And I would hire him to drive, you know, health and happiness shows gear around or strange caves gear around. So, so we go a long way back and he's a smart guy. He's a talented guy. And um, yes, a, a good voice for New York. So. Yeah. And he, he was, um, we were, we were talking, he was out, he was doing something. So I was running errands with him on the phone and he was such a nice guy. And it felt like someone you knew, I felt like I'd known him for 30 years. So he has that sort of, he's a very sweet guy. So you must've been a D-Generation fan as well. I was, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it all comes full circle. So so now you're on, the song's on Jesse's label. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds like it wasn't a, a difficult transaction it was very natural that you found yourself yeah it was yeah you know he was the first person i called when i you know i woke up one morning just a couple months ago i was like you know i should put this song out and um and he was the first person i i called you know and right away he said let's do this so uh so it was you know i was honored and you know it was that easy and um and you know he's got uh, Don DeLego, who's a great artist and also co-founder of the label, and Diana Gentile, also a great singer-songwriter who, who you know works with me and and the other artists. And you know these are people who have their own careers, but they're really helping other people do that too, which is pretty impressive. Musically, now that this is out and it's happening, and here we are, do you feel inspired to? do more do you feel kind of like oh this is a good gateway i yeah sure <laughs> you know the the, uh, the playing and the making of the music is the easy fun part you know the part that's tough is like going out there and having to sell it or talk about it you know not that this is tough yeah but you know i don't want to talk about myself you know uh, I'd rather talk about you, you know, or 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 Jesse or someone. But but yeah, I've got a record done, and um, see what happens with this song, and and try and get the album out hopefully by the fall. That's that's the game plan. And the album is done. It's in the can. It's done. Yeah. The really interesting thing about this time period has been. For me, I turned 50 in, in the quarantine, like when this happened last year. And I, and I kind of had this weird realization and it was okay, but I kind of thought, you know, there's more road behind me than there likely is in front of me. And it made me feel that plus the quarantine made me feel, I want to just get as much work out as I can, you know, before it all, it's all over. And so now I feel this kind of creative, not a very cheery note, but you know what I mean? I want to get as much out Absolutely. as I can. I think that's, like I was saying earlier, that's one of the good things that 
will come out of this. It's like everyone's got a reset and you realize how precious time is and how much we take walking outdoors without a mask or getting on a subway or going to a bar for granted, you know? Um, you know, I, I was thinking about the term social distancing today. And it's just, it's such an awful term, you know, to have to, when you think, to have to really say, okay, I'm social distancing, you know, it's like, they're two opposites. Social is supposed to be together, distance is not, you know, and, and we've had a year and a half of social distancing and, and it's, it's messed with everybody. So yes, be creative, take advantage of, of it and, you know, life is short. You you realize how short it can be, you know. What was your um, appetite in terms of the art you were taking in? Um, I've mentioned it before, but I was not in like a Nick Drake mood. I, I was really interested in this past year in Velocity. And I found mm. all these bands that were playing loud and fast and they were young. Um, <laughs> There's this band I found called the Bad Nerves. They're just called Bad Nerves and they just knocked me out. They run me of like the Buzzcocks meets the Misfits, this British band. And they're fast. And I just kept listening to them mo more than anything else. Um, but I always liked introspective music, just not in the last year. Uh, the movies I was watching, I noticed were not introspective movies, the books I was reading. Did you notice that the art you were consuming was, a, there was a through line? Well, it gave me more, I, I kind of spent a lot of my time shedding on saxophone. So, uh, which is like a new passion for me. So not a passion for the neighbors, but you know, for me it is. So, um, so that led me to all this music I was kind of working backwards. I'm not, I've never been a jazz guy and I've probably said things about jazz that I shouldn't have, you know, but it's, it led me to some really great saxophone music, you know, and um, so I used that time that way, you know, and, and it's just, and it, and in turn that made me think of playing guitar differently, you know, and, and how I listen to music differently. So it was really, you know, for me, it was an eye-opening thing that way. Suddenly, if I'm listening to a song, I'm, I'm paying more attention to the horns or the low notes than the shredding guitar, you know, and um, uh, so that was, you know, for me, that was the journey, you know. You're not a jazz guy, but suddenly you're holding a saxophone. What, how did that happen? Well, uh, I played with Ian Hunter and um, there was a Moth Hoople reunion um, a couple years ago, right before the pandemic hit. And uh, Ian had two other members from Moth Hoople and, and he brought us, his regular band, the Ramp Band, in uh, to join in. So it was a big band. You know? There were eight people on stage, nine people on stage. And there were going to be four guitar players. And I just thought, this is so stupid <laughs> to have four guitar players <laughs> all trying to be louder than the other. Um, and a lot of those Matopal songs had some great saxophone on it. So uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to play saxophone. He's like, great. Do you play saxophone? I was like, yeah, sure. So I, I spent 
three months, like just woodshedding. And I learned this parts I had to learn and like, you know, pulled it off and I didn't get fired. Um, but that the interest, once we, you know, went on hiatus with, with that, the passion for it just has remained. It's, it's, so that's how I spent my summer COVID vacation, you know. I, it's funny that you said that to Ian and he just, he kind of went, oh, okay, good. He didn't, he didn't actually question and go, well, I've never seen you hold one before. Well, he, he gave me kind of a look, you know, <laughs> and I kind of, the way I got into playing with Ian was I totally lied. And that's how I got in his band because uh, it's a long story, but I, I said, oh yeah, I, I, I can play mandolin. And so they hired me to play mandolin for his big comeback show. And so I just stayed up all night the day before the rehearsal and learned two songs. He's like, oh, that's good. Can you play this? Can you play that? And so I kind of, you know, face your fears and they disappear. So. You're a quick study though, James. That's that's not yeah. easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you move your shoulders a little bit, bop your head, pretend like you're working really hard when you're playing mandolin or sax and you can fool everybody. So. But, you know, Ian Hunter is the kind of guy that I, I'd be too afraid to try to fool him because he seems very astute. Well, he is. He is incredibly astute. And and uh, but my feeling was I, I love Matopo is the reason I started playing guitar. So I saw this chance to play with him and I was going to do whatever I could to make it work. And. I figured, all right, it's one gig. What's he gonna do? Fire me? You know, I'm I, even if I'm just playing on this one gig, I, I've done it. You know, and and so I didn't get fired, and he asked me to keep playing, and there you go. So you're tired of crack the window, pull the shade, and take off your clothes. Tell me I'm that I should know Whisper dear Whisper dear Breezes high And thoughts are burning In these long hot nights We're learning If the rain Don't stop raining It's okay It's okay No one has to know No one has to
I mean, the one time I lied, I in, when I was twenty, I met a really beautiful girl. This is yeah, I've, I've lied more than once, but I met a really beautiful girl in college, and she was like, "I'm a vegetarian," and I was like, "Me too," <laughs> but I wasn't. <laughs> I am now, but I wasn't, and I, but I, I was like, "That's a that's an that seems a lot easier than learning the mandolin, though." <laughs> um, well, you know, it's all relative, so. How's your relationship with Ian? Uh, great. He's, I can truly call him one of my best friends. You know, he's a, he's a great guy. He's uh, smart. He's funny. He's uh, teaching me things without trying. You know, you just, there's so much knowledge there that, you know, just, uh, I've learned a lot the past 20 years from him. He's, in, he's such an underrated lyricist. I totally agree. And, and, you know, it's, I think he's even gotten better, you know, as big a Martin solo record fan, I was the early ones, I think his writing and seeing his process as he's writing is so impressive. I mean, he's, he won't stop until it's perfect, you know, and, and they're breathtaking his lyrics, you know. He's, he reads all the time, you know, he's, he's a smart guy. What does a friendship with Ian Hunter look like? Does he stay in touch? Is he a guy who stays in touch? I'm always loaning him money, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it's, yeah, you know, we chat at least once a week. And uh, I did go up and, and visit a couple times during COVID, uh, but now we're all back. So uh, I'm probably see him next week. and. You know, he wants to start working on a new record, so that's the plan. So, because he lives, I didn't know he was living in the U.S. Yeah, he's in uh, he's in a, you know a secret bunker somewhere in Connecticut. So. That, that makes sense. That that checks. Yeah, <laughs> that checks. Yeah, um, and in terms of the bongos, like, are you are you in touch with those guys? Are you, is everything okay? Uh, yeah. yeah, actually, the last show I did before COVID was with the bongos. We. Um, we had geared up to do a few shows uh, and had, then had to cancel some. So they've finally, they've been rescheduled and rescheduled, but come September, we have a couple dates uh, coming up and more to come. And there's some um, reissues coming out and um, Richard has been working on those and um, so it's been, you know, it's funny that after all this time, you know, there seems to be people who still want to hear this stuff. And, um, but when we get in the room, it's like 30 years ago, you know, it's, uh, it's 
four best friends hanging out and making the same jokes we did back then and you know cracking each other up and sometimes playing music too so <laughs> i would imagine i mean there's a possibility of a new record maybe uh richard and i have, have written a few things and um so you know we'll see where the next few gigs take us and uh, but yeah we've talked about it when you joined the bongos did you you weren't on the first record right but you would you knew the band yeah i actually knew them all before they knew each other um mm -hmm. yeah which um so it was very easy for me and even I wasn't on the first record. I was playing with them at that time. I, every once in a while, I was still playing with Richard Lloyd. Um, but, you know, it, I would sit in with them. And um, and then when I left Richard, which was pretty much right after the uh, drums along the Hudson came out, they asked me to join full time. So. Do you still have, are you still able to be thrilled by new music? Do you hear a new band and go, holy cow, that is oh, really special. Yeah, yeah new new and old yeah um this woman i just heard it's either valerie june or virginia june i think it's valerie june just beautiful she has a new record out uh and she does a duet with carla thomas old r&b singer and it's just fantastic you know and um uh this is nepotism, but my daughter has a band called Long Neck, and, and I shouldn't have even said my daughter. I should have just said this new band, Long Neck, which is great. And if they were awful and sucked, I would tell her. But uh, they're really good. And this band, Adult Mom, I like a lot. Um, so, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of good music out there. And anyone who says it's not as good as it used to be just isn't paying attention you know yeah it's a little lazy to say oh nothing's good i'm just going to go back and listen to the fix you know I think it's that's so much easier now to find good music or new music you know and good music so yeah do you still haunt record stores do you still find yourself going uh i do more out of habit i've forced myself to stop buying vinyl even though today i was walking down the street in hoboken and someone had a bin of old cassettes and CDs and I grabbed a bunch of stuff, which, you know, I, I finally though have made the, the break of like, okay, I can, I can download it. I can find it online. And, and, you know, I still have my turntable and play my, my vinyl and, but for new stuff, I'm, I'm not buying it's, you know, I'm trying to simplify my life. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. I always feel that if I'm getting rid of anything, the vinyl has to be the very last thing to go. I mean, I can't, you know, it's so important. It's like, it's like a part of the museum of my, of my life, which is a very, you know, limited museum, but, um, but you, but I know what you mean. It does take up space. So you, have you, have you ever done that thing where you purge your collection? I've tried, you know, I actually have them. All my albums are now in the shop at the turntable and I tried to sell them. Someone said, are those for sale? And I begrudgingly said, yeah, 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 okay. And he started looking through them and he pulled out a stack of stuff to buy of 20 and I let him buy two. You know, I was like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't have that. You can't have that. <laughs> so it's 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 hard to part with, with you know, because it's like photos for me. Every record yeah. has a memory, you know, and, and it's... Um, you know, that's why 
we do what we do, you know, that's music had that strong a hold for me, you know. So. Do you ever jam with your daughter? Uh, we, we do. I mean, we used to a lot more, but I think she's probably better than me at this point. So it's humiliating, <laughs> you know, but, uh, um, but we do. And, uh, and uh, she's a good guitar player, an amazing singer. I don't, uh, I, I can't sing. I don't know where her voice came from. So uh, in terms of your daily practice, are you, do you play every day? I try to in the morning. Okay. Because I find if I if I do it later in the day, I'm not going to do it. And in the morning, you know, I wake up, I'm fresh, I have ideas, and or I have things I need to to really focus and learn for either a project or a session or or something. So if I do it in the morning, it's in my head all day, and I, I can even if I don't have the guitar or saxophone or whatever, I can work on it in my head, and and it's there. So it's a good way to start the day, like you know. It's my yoga. So. Yeah, yeah, because I, I'm, it's always interesting to me to hear people say, um, you know, oh, I don't play for a month or I haven't played. And, you know, I, to me, I can't really, although I got to say, as a writer, there are times where I won't write for two or three weeks. And it's, mm -hmm. that's almost part of the process. Well, I think so. You're just absorbing, you know, you're, you're you know, if your antenna's up, it's all getting stored in your hard drive there, you know, inside. So uh, it, it'll come out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember another band I was listening to, Public Access TV. Have you heard those guys? I've heard of them. You're the second person this week who mentioned them. Really? So I will check them out. So, check them out. Yeah, they're, where are they from? They're, I think they're from, I think they're from New York. I could be wrong, um, but they, they're one of those bands that I think they could have existed in 1978. You know, they're one of those, they're really cool. That, that's a band I, I listen to a lot, a lot of. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm excited about the record. I'm, I'm really thrilled. What can you say, what can you reveal about the album that will hopefully come out in the fall? Uh, well, it's, uh, I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with it. I feel, you know, it's been 20 years really since I've, put something on my own out, you know, yeah. even though working with a lot of other people. And kind of the same thing where, you know, maybe I wasn't picking up a pen and writing every day, but you can't absorb, you can't help but absorb good things being around people like Ian Hunter, you know, or, or working with John Cale or, or Patty Smith, you know, these, you know, so I did a lot of soaking in the, the, these past few years and, and I feel it paid off. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with the writing and I knew, know if it was bad, Ian would be the first to tell me, you know, and because he's incredible. One of his, be it attributes or faults is he's incredibly honest, you know, and and we have a very good, honest relationship, you know, where he'll tell me if something's stupid, I'll tell him if I think it is too, you know, which, you know, we've had fights, but it's like brothers fighting and, and it's, and it's, but it's always comes out being for the right cause, you know? Um, so for me, Ian, uh, I'd asked him to sing on one song. So he came down to the studio and he sang on it. He's like, oh, all right, uh, let me hear what else you got. And 
he's staring at the lyric sheets. He's like, let me try something on this. So he ended up like singing on four or five songs on the record. I couldn't get him rid of them, <laughs> but <laughs> I, it, I was honored. And, you know, he was like, these are really good. And, and for me to have someone like that say that, just whether it's good or not, for me, it made me happy, you know? So, um, and, and, you know, he, he liked it and so I'm, I'm proud of it. And it, it was a very personal record. It was uh, just myself, Tony Shanahan, um, who plays bass with Patti Smith and was in Health and Happiness Show. And again, we've worked together for over 30 years. It was his studio and he played bass and keyboards and sang and produced it. And we had a couple different drummers come in. So it was basically just three people in a room. So I was really able to focus, you know, on what I was doing, where when you're, I think, writing with a band or for a band in mind, it, you know, you want to make sure everybody's happy and, and, and inspired, where for this, I had to make sure I was inspired for myself, you know, and um, so I, I'm pretty proud of it, you know. Is it hard to be that vulnerable? Because it's a very personal record. Nah, you know, I, once it's done, it's done. I think yeah. the hard, once you write it, it's out. You know, um, it's the it's before you put it down where the doubts are there and the vulnerabilities there, where you're going back to questioning what you're doing. You know, I think once you commit, once you hear it it's done, it's out, move on, you know. You're only as good as the song or story you just wrote or the, you know, the last breath you took or the, the next one you're gonna write, so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, can an artist truly ever be happy? Because, you know, we tend to tinker even when it's done, you know, like I pick up one of my books and I go, I wouldn't have done that, but I did it, and now it's too <laughs> late. you did it. I did it, yeah. yeah. You know, you can spend your whole life with regrets, but that's why, you know, it's like, um, and you can also spend your whole time tinkering and, and uh, but if you think, can you ever be happy? Yeah, I think you can be happy, but I don't think you should be happy for too long, you know, be, because again how much legs are you going to get out of one song or, or one book you know and if you can you could be harper lee and write to kill a mockingbird and and yes you you're done and i i wish i could do that but i can't so i have to keep going you know and and try and do better you know yeah it makes me wonder if artists are always trying to get at something so they keep taking these stabs at it where for me as a listener i remember i heard valoria by the pixies and i thought if i ever wrote valoria i would just put my guitar down and go well i'm done i did it i you know, <laughs> how do you top that um but yet the he, black francis and the pixies kept going um you know you look at the beatles and you go like 
I mean, I've mentioned the Pixies before the, the Beatles, which seems like a big mistake, but um, you know my point where it's sort of like people have written such amazing, perfect songs, but that was not, that's mm -hmm. only, the, you know, the journey continues. And so I wonder if you're just trying to get at a higher truth or something. I don't know what we're trying to do. Always, you know, I think you, you, and it took me a long time. Health and Happiness Show for me was the breakthrough where I finally stopped writing for what I thought other people wanted to hear mm. uh, or, or, or feel and wrote what I wanted, you know? And that turned out to be, for me, the most successful thing, or at least where I felt the most successful, you know? Um, and if you're always trying to please someone else or an audience that is out there, but you don't know them or you see them, you, you, you know, you're punching shadows. It, if you're, you have to be happy with what you're doing, you know? Yeah. When you found yourself in the company of the people you've mentioned are, they're titans, James. I mean, Patty, Patty Smith, I mean, you know, John Cale, Ian Hunter, Richard Lloyd. I mean, even softball with, with Yola Tango, it <laughs> would make me nervous. Um, but uh, I mean, how did you keep your poise? How you must have, you must have nerves of steel. Um, because I would have been very nervous to be around those people. Well, you, you know, a couple things you, you, I used to be very nervous and I could still get there, but everyone's human, you know? And, and I think the one thing I found when you meet people you idolize the worst thing i you can say is man i love this song that song whatever you know it's because again who wants to talk about themselves you know um for me because i'm such a gearhead and guitars and all that i've always found if i talk to someone about equipment right away we're both at ease you know or if you talk about a book that you've been reading or a diet you've been on, you know. Um, Ian has this story of he was at a party uh, where Bob Dylan was there and there was this one guy who was talking to Dylan like for 20 minutes and no one could figure out who this guy was and Dylan was just totally captivated and um, and Ian or one of his friends went up to this guy later and the guy was just dressed it wasn't like a rock star dressed in his suit. And the guy went up to him uh, and asked him, what were you talking to Dylan about for all this time? You know, he's like, well, I'm, I'm a proctologist, <laughs> you know? So they were, they were talking health, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, does Dylan want to talk about like a Rolling Stone? No, but, you know, let's talk about your, uh, you know, <laughs> your prostate right right yeah yeah he'd much rather talk about his prostate than than blood on the tracks i mean i get it i i i, under, I understand i mean you're what you're saying is true in the sense that you if you approach those people like they are titans and not human beings it the the playing field is tipped so massively and clumsily um out of out of sync and out of skew with with what is normal that mm. i think that it's impossible to have a real conversation because you're too you're too reverential 
right. you know, they're not, they're not human beings anymore. And um, yeah, I, I, that's very true. Approaching one on a real, a real level is I think the way, the way to go. It, mm-hmm. Is there anybody who's playing in terms of guitar that still just dazzles you that in a way that you can't figure out what they were doing? Like who to you is still as dazzling as ever? Uh, well, Richard Lloyd, you know, is phenomenal and, and, and Tom Verlaine. I mean, I still listen to those television albums and the solo records. I'm still inspired by them. You know, they're still phenomenal, you know, um, as crazy as it sounds, Ricky Wilson from B-52s, um, amazing guitarist. And Bongo's was lucky enough to tour with B-52s back in the day. And I was mesmerized, you know, I would watch Ricky every night and he, no one plays like that ever did or, and ever has since. And it's just, you know, it's from the gut. It's so unique. Um, yeah, I'm always hearing things that I, I heard this, um, I got to find this, this gospel group the other day, there's a great gospel radio show on WFMU uh, called Sinner's Crossroads on Thursday nights. And um, he's always playing this amazing stuff. And uh, I, I was driving in my car when I heard this song they play by this, I'll get the band, it's like the Something Brothers. Um, and I lit literally had to stop the car and just started screaming because it was so exciting and it's so yes guitar can still do that to me you know now i want to know who these guys are i gotta, I gotta hear this yeah they're the uh, the bronner brothers and uh, the album is called hold on to god's unchanging hand and uh if it's on itunes if you find the album and there's a song on, on there, there's a guitar solo at the end of this one song that is just out of nowhere. It's, this guy must have had rapture when he was playing this guitar solo. It's just, so I'm always hearing stuff that, you know, gets me excited, you know? Um, yeah, so again, it's about having your antennas up and. Yeah, what, what um, I wanna ask you about a couple of players before I let you go. Um, what's your take on Brian Setzer as a player? Oh, he's fantastic. You know, he's a great player. And um, I re- remember seeing his band, The Bloodless Pharaohs, which was before he was in the Stray Cats, was kind of this, they were at Max's Kansas City, you know, mid-70s. And um, they were just kind of like this gothy, punky band, you know, but he was great in that too. And um yeah, and you know he's great singer, great phenomenal player, and playing what he loves. You know, so so he was already good in in like seventy seven. Yeah, <laughs> God. Yeah. Um, what what about Mark Knopfler? Uh, you know, Mark is one of those guys who, yes, I, I, I he wouldn't be my first go to guy. That, uh, but. I can't do what he does. And um, the, I'll tell you the one record I, I really, well, a couple that he's been involved in, the one he did with Chet Atkins is great. Um, 
And he's on uh, Dylan's Infidels album. And he does some great stuff on that too. Um, so yeah, you know, huge inspiration, no respect him, absolutely. You know. And this might surprise you that I'm asking you this one, but what about Jonathan Richmond? Jonathan Richmond, you know what? Yes, because that record inspired so many other people. You know, that first Modern Lovers album, which like the Velvets, you know, it's it's like, even though it's so, it's not easy to be simple, you know, and 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 to make three chords sound so good and believable is not easy, you know, and, uh, so yes, it, for me, it's not always about technique, you know, yeah. Johnny Ramone, no one, uh, Johnny Ramone, amazing, you know, Johnny Thunders, I, you know, visceral playing, you know, the, no one plays like that and you know, it's him and, you know, it's just exciting. So um, you can have all the technique in the world, but if there's no heart in it or, or soul, then, you know, I'm one of the world's slowest guitar players on the planet. You know, there are a lot of fast ones. I probably pride myself on being one of the slower ones, you know. So, I, you know, I'm forced to try and find the right notes. And, I, I, you know, I think nine times out of ten, I do. So, Well, for a non-player like myself, what does that mean that you're slow? You mean you technique-wise? You... Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not a, uh, you know, I see, yeah. speed guy. Um, um, but, you know, in one note, there's, you can hear a lot of other notes. Like if, if uh, there's overtones, there's that. So there's voicings. And, and to me, that's, you know, it's about slowing down and kind of hearing what's there, you know. But yeah, you know, do I wish I could play faster? Yes. Do I wish I could, you know, shred and, and go up against Beck? Yes, but I can't. So. <laughs> I'll do the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just out of curiosity, I have noticed there are two people that play that no one has ever sounded like before. One's a drummer, one's a guitar player. I've never heard another drummer sound like Alex Van Halen. I've never heard another guitar player sound like The Edge. And as a gear guy, I want to ask you, why is that? Uh, well, you know, I could, for, for the, I could probably go on more about The Edge than um, Alex, but you know, he was making do with what he had, you know, and, and again, maybe at the, especially when he first started, maybe not the most technical player, but he just had that one little delay pedal. And well, you know what, he probably, it's probably what I should be doing. You know, I think at the time he wasn't really a fast player, but he set his delay pedals up to do those rhythmic and just created something that was so unique and special and, 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 you know, he's become an amazing guitar player and, and evolved from that. But um, I think necessity breeds, you know, creativity. So. Well, it's interesting because I, I mean, I imagine he's one of the most important innovators of the guitar, but I, but I don't hear anybody doing what he's doing. Maybe it'd be too obvious. Like, Oh, you're just trying to rip off the edge. Well, it is, you, you know, and, and I've, had to stop myself a few times, like at sessions, like start getting something going and like, oh no, we're in U2 territory, you know, <laughs> you, you can't go there, you know, it's, it's, there's a no trespassing sign, you know.
it's like so um but you know i think in the 80s later 80s there were there were some bands that were definitely kind of copying that and then as the, as you two kind of evolved and got more ethereal um i think you know kind of you you weren't getting the copycats as much but whereas tom from boston his innovation was used by a lot of people right yeah, yeah. Well, you know, not only did he have a great tone, but he marketed it, you know, yeah. created that Walkman, which, I mean, the bongos had him too. We used them all the time in the studio, you know, we didn't sound like Boston, but, you know, you could start with that tone and take it from there. And it was, you know, um, so yeah, you know, you pick and things you like from everybody and hopefully make your own stew where it's not too obvious and, you know, there's room for more than one restaurant on the street. Wise words from James Mastro. Sweet guy. I really enjoyed that conversation and uh, his new song. I love it. The new album, I feel like it's going to be a monster. Can't wait to hear it. Coming out uh, in the fall. So there's something to look forward to. Uh, JamesMastro.Bandcamp.com. Visit James's guitar shop, GuitarBar.com. And also visit Velvet Elk Records at VelvetElkRecords.com, which, by the way, is trickier to say than I thought it would be. Velvet Elk Records. I think I, I feel like I screwed it up, but I feel like you got enough information to get you there. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. Follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. Go ahead and email me if you feel comfortable doing that kind of thing. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave a nice comment, leave us a rating, tell a friend. Yeah, it's a long list of things I'm asking you to do, but uh, it wouldn't take more than 10 seconds of your time. All right? And if it takes more than that, I apologize for getting the math wrong, but I do appreciate you taking whatever time it took. I appreciate it very much. I really do. Uh, Visit Bombshell Radio at bombshellradio.com. Find out what makes us tick. I made that up because I thought it was clever, uh, but I've said it so many times. Maybe it's not as clever uh, as it used to be, but if you're hearing it for the first time, you probably thought it was all right, or maybe you didn't notice it at all, and now I've drawn attention to it, further uh, withdrawing the power it had uh, from the initial initial, uh, saying of it. What the hell am I talking about? Just trying to finish the show uh, with grace. But at this rate, I don't like my chances. Uh, Let's put the grace baton in the hands of James Mastro. This is a fuller listen to my God. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. My God doesn't fight in wars, doesn't know what wars are for thinks they're dumb if it hurts someone 